This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. We all watched the television coverage of just yesterday. That's on top of everything else that we know and don't know yet based on what we've just been able to see. And because we've seen it or not doesn't mean it hasn't happened. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. We are live on the interwebs. It's Friday, which means it's time for another Friday roundtable extravaganza. Joining me today is the president of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey Tucker, and lawyer for the Dillon Law Group and host of Coleman Nation podcast, Ron Coleman. Jeffrey, Ron, welcome back to the Rubin Report. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Guys, before we get to anything, and obviously it's just another wacky week in Woke, uh, apparently over the last few hours there has been one of the largest solar flares, uh, I guess, in the last decade or so, and people are predicting the systems could go down. I think we have some kind of image of the solar flare. Uh, So this could be it for uh, for the Rubin Report and for all of us, and I just want to say it's an honor to have you guys on what potentially could be our last program. It's a fitting end. It's a culmination, if you will, of a lifetime of fine work by all three of us. I would, I would believe so. Uh, Jeffrey, is, in case the systems go out before we even get to the show, is there anything you'd like to say just as sort of your final summation of the whole thing, you know? Of uh, the whole thing, uh, yeah. the whole uh, decline of civilization. Yeah, yeah. I will say that, that <laughs> which everybody has a, a different beginning date. Uh, mine is, is March 13th, 2020. Uh, civilization was fun. It was glorious. We did great things for a thousand years, you know, but that's it. It's over. <laughs> You're referencing uh, the beginning of COVID. Well, anyway, we're going to do a show and we'll see if the computer machines the and the wires make it happen. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the insane indoctrination on our college campuses, obviously, which has now just burst forth across society. Uh, a bit about Hunter Biden's testimony and is this the way the, uh, the Dems are going to show Joe Biden the door because the polls are not looking good. And then just a bit about what's going on over at the White House as it relates to Christmas, because yes, they brought in some drag queens. Surprise, surprise. Uh, But what I thought we could start talking about first today is uh, this video from Joe Rogan's show from uh, yesterday. He's referencing this former KGB agent, Yuri Bezmenov. And I've, I've played a couple of videos of this guy who talks about how you would take out Western civilizations, how you could use the media and the educational institutions, and over decades, how you could subvert all of our laws, all of our norms, all of the the good things about our culture, and just take us out without even firing a shot. Uh, Rogan referenced that on his show yesterday. I thought it would be a nice place for us to start. I think think 
there's been an ideological capture of colleges. And Yuri Bezmenov, the, the former KGB uh, guy from the Soviet <coughs> Union, when he defected, he talked about this like openly, that, that the Soviet Union has been trying to do this forever. They've been trying to demoralize uh, America by infecting their educational institutions, and it's a multi-generational approach. You infect the kids with Marxism and Leninism in the universities, and then you indoctrinate them to these ideas, and then they go off and slowly start to seep into the workplace. And over the course of several generations, you completely diminish their confidence in democracy and what they think about America. You you destroy all of the confidence that they have in America, and that's exactly what's happening. Could be. When they're saying Osama bin Laden was correct <laughs> I wish you would have said all that with the Asian mask. Yeah. I know. I could, damn it. The mask is too, it was like too hard to form sentences. Jeffrey, that kind of sounds like what has happened here in America as we watch all of these crazy protests and everything else, doesn't it? I've been a little bit shocked about the power of, of elite academia over the culture. I, I didn't expect it really to pan out this way. Of course, Buckley was complaining about this in 1956. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we've been hearing about this for decades, but I was a little bit uh, dismissive of it in the past, thinking, well, who cares what goes on at Harvard and Yale and Princeton and whatever. Um, these, you know, nobody believes what the professors say anyway. We're going to, we're going to, uh, that's not really going to matter. So I've been a little bit taken aback over the last several years just to see the invasion of, yes, all of the commanding heights of society by people who have been indoctrinated in sort of extremist woke ideology. And I think even more important than that, they've been denied access to the Western canon. You know, that is, that mm -hmm. is long gone. And so it's not... It's not so much the presence of, of woke theory and destructive ideology um, itself, but the complete absence of anything else, anything like enlightenment thought, uh, you know, serious literature. Um, all the, the great books are just have been blasted away in the 21st century. All the things that we aspired the students, everybody to learn uh, during the progressive era, you know, with the, with the great books and the Harvard classics, it's all gone. It's, and, a great, and, it's a great point, actually, because what Bezmanov is saying, what Rogan's referencing, is that they, they figured out a way to get into our systems. But you would think that our systems, which have done so, our systems, our institutions, our founding documents, which have done so much good over a couple hundred years, but really starting with the Enlightenment and everything else, that they would have been able to stand up to this. But Ron, I suspect, as a man who believes in some old books, uh, you're not surprised, perhaps. Well, I'm... I am nonetheless surprised that so much has collapsed so fast. And the one response to that is, well, no, Ron, it has been so fast at all. It's like the overnight, it's what they say about the, all the years it takes to become an overnight success. Mm -hmm. uh, I learned from, uh, from James Lindsay about something that I think I had remembered from my Cold War days as, you know, I, I, a, lot of, a lot of commie stuff. Um, about how, in fact, the, the you know the the Soviet uh, Communist Party made great efforts to undermine American society. They focused. They they realized, as as he explains, that you couldn't really make a strong class-based argument at the time to Americans the way Marx predicted you should be able to do in an industrialized society, because Americans were essentially a classless society. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but they did realize that there was real possibility in preaching to 
blacks. And because blacks were quite justifiably, justifiably alienated from the mainstream of, of American society. They were under, under the, the mores and the law that existed at the time, mm -hmm. quite meaningfully victims. And there was some, it did take to some extent, but Paul Robeson aside and a handful of other prominent black communists aside, it didn't seem to have made that much of an impact. Well, it actually sort of did because whether or not this was directed by some outside agency or whether or not it was, or it was organic, which I would not dispute that that is the possibility that, that actually ends up what, being what happens. What we did see by the justified focus on civil rights was a door was opened to not only leftist activism and Marxist and, and what many of us call cultural Marxism, but we also saw the profound effect of guilt mm -hmm. on the American liberal psyche mm -hmm. in a way that had never really been reckoned with before. And whether, whether the tipping point on that is, is Hiroshima or Vietnam or, or any number of other things, or whether it's all of them put together, the, the people, the majority, the elite, the original elite, the WASP elite, that was so fundamental as a cornerstone in American society, lost the will to, to do what it had to do to protect, to protect itself against being absolutely not only undermined, but replaced and made irrelevant. Let me pause you there for a second, because this, this thing that you just mentioned about guilt and that there were legitimate things, obviously, with the civil rights movement at first, but then the liberal elites didn't know what to do with the guilt of some of the things that had happened in the past. Well, here's Yuri Bezmenov himself explaining how ideological subversion can basically lead to the complete taking down of a society. Ideological subversion, that is a phrase that uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the slow process which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interest of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism. The line that gets me there, and there's an awful lot that's chilling, is he says that you'll get to a point where no one is able to come to sensible conclusions. So let me throw real quick to a pro-Hamas rally at Columbia University just in the last couple of days. 
Jeffrey, you referenced before you were a believer in these institutions. You didn't think that they were going to uh, collapse so quickly or that they would stand up for themselves a little bit better. It's, it's quite an admission. It's, I, I appreciate it. And, I, and a lot of people, I think, felt that. Um, when you see this, and by the way, I, I have no problem calling them pro-Hamas rallies because nobody there is going to condemn Hamas. I, a lot of people give me crap for that. I, if you don't believe so, feel free to say. Um, but isn't that the perfect culmination of everything that Yuri Bezmenov is talking about? Yeah, it probably is. Uh, you know, I think part of the problem here, by the way, why were they all wearing masks? Are they are they afraid of COVID? I, well, I don't it's understand. A, it's a fine line from the COVID mask to the full burqa and everything else. <laughs> Or maybe it's just a symbol, right? I mean, like if you're if you're on the left, you have to wear a mask as a mm -hmm. way of telling friends and neighbors where you stand. I don't I don't understand how the mask became this. Um, but you know, part of the problem here, uh, Dave, is that we are sending we're trying to send 50% of the students to uh, to schools that, for which they pay uh, six figures and many more, left with vast amounts of debt, and then sending them out into the workplace to take 10% of the jobs that are available, and they're angry. They feel like they've been lied to. They, they're wasting their time and vast majorities of waste of their time in these universities learning gibberish. So, um, so they're angry at the world. It's like they feel, they have a sense that it's broken and they're desperate for meaning in their lives. So these crazy causes and these crazy protests give them this dopamine rush and the sense that they can make a difference by being insane because they're, they're basically lashing out at mm -hmm. <clears throat> At the at the system that they think, and in many cases rightly, has has robbed them of of a meaningful life or any other purpose in in life, and I think it's really tragic. And that that demographic sort of um, uh, that that uh, uneven balance there that we're sending so many kids to school to and spending so much money on it to learn to get education they're not actually going to use professionally. Um, has has got to be part of this problem. It's just yeah, at least well, a loss of confidence and a loss of purpose and a loss of meaning. And it's exactly what Bezmenov said that you should do if you wanted to take out a country. Uh, Ron, you're going to love this one uh, because I know you're a man of higher education. At the University of Pennsylvania, they have started a coalition uh, freedom school uh, to defend freedom of speech as it relates to Palestine or something like that. Good luck trying to make sense of this. And has consistently sidelined marginalized communities. This undergraduate student wanted to remain anonymous, but says that concern with the university is the reason they started the coalition Freedom School of Palestine. We hope this Freedom School will be a platform wherein students, where we can elevate Palestinian voices. The group is calling on Penn to demand a ceasefire, protect freedom of speech on campus, and institute freedom of thought for Palestine. We reached out to Penn about the demonstration and the response to the group's demands, but have not heard back yet. As for the pro-Palestinian group, they plan to continue making their voices heard no matter what. This is why we gather here today. It's because we want to wake up while we can still make a change. We want to wake up while we can still make a difference. We want to wake up while we can still save a life. Take it away, Ron. Look, <laughs> there, it, it, we are in a, an intellectual regime of utter inanity in our time. And one thing I like about Jeff's formulation is that it, it gives some credit 
to these lunatics uh, of being premised on the idea that they are insightful and that they, they, they're aware on some level of the, of the emptiness inside of them. Uh, I'm not so sure that the students at Ivy League universities, and, and all right, let's include Penn. I, it's a member, it's part of the Ivy League, but you know, we never really respected it all that much <laughs> at Princeton. Um, but in all seriousness, I think there is an expectation among this particular cadre, the Ivy League schools and, and MIT and the, you know, the other Stanford and the like, Chicago, these elite schools, that these students, I think, actually do have an empty core, but they don't feel that, I don't believe that they feel that frustration that innumerable other college students who are wasting their time in college and they're wasting their time every bit as much from an educational point of view and from an, ed, and an intellectual training point of view which is at least as important as the content part or the mastery part the subject <clears throat> matter stuff the students in these elite institutions have been conditioned to think of themselves and, and the ivy league schools reinforce this during the time that you're there as the decision makers, as the people who are entitled to and will run the world. And they don't like the fact that the things that they have been taught shouldn't be happening, shouldn't be allowed to be happening, are happening. And yes, this does give them a chance to act out and feel meaning. But I don't think it's because they're angry for themselves, I think it's because I, I think that there might be an anger there, but but I think it's because they they are like children who are, are not getting the you know they they don't want that TV show to be on, or they, they want a toy that they can't have. Right. In essence, it's, in essence, they've been taught all the wrong things, given none of the right tools. Now they're seeing reality, yeah. and they think they have dominion over it. I want to show you one more image from an Ivy League school. This one's from Harvard, and Harvard's had a pretty bad week and you can see these students there and a lot of them again the mask thing and okay genocide so occupied river to the sea all of the all of the stuff jeffrey make some sort of case if you can why we shouldn't just be excited for harvard to completely collapse on top of the fact <laughs> that the uh, well on top of i know they have a 50 billion dollar endowment so it's going to take a little time because you can throw yeah. cash at things to keep it going but on top of the fact that you know claudine gay the president is now also it is very clear that she plagiarized in her dissertation yes. And, yes. and, and everything else. Like, why just makes, is there any argument left why anyone should care about these No, places? no, it's, it's astonishing. I mean, the, the case of this plagiarism stuff, she should have immediately, well, she should have never been appointed to that position. But, right. but now that we have all this proof, I mean, it's overwhelming. It's not just four cases, it's not just 14 cases, it's everywhere. I mean, you can't even look through her work without bumping into another case of plagiarism. It's so obvious. It wasn't a mistake. She should have resigned. The fact that she didn't. And is, she stole is, from a black woman, by the way, Carol uh, Swain. I, who is a well-known yeah. academic. So meanwhile, you've got the, sorry to interrupt, but you've got yeah. the NAACP saying that if you go after gay, you're a white supremacist, but she stole from the black. Yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable how everybody should have rallied around her. I, I do want to say something else about these with these kids and they're, you know, they're claiming uh, free, freedom. I'm, I'm, 
weirdly happy to hear uh, words like freedom and free speech. I don't understand where these same people were during lockdowns, during the mm -hmm. vaccine mandates, when they were being imprisoned in their <clears throat> dormitories, when they were being robbed of their tuition uh, by being forced onto Zoom classes. I mean, they were completely passive. Uh, vast numbers of, of Ivy League professors, administrators, and students were passive in the face of these tyrannical controls uh, in the name of controlling infective disease, infectious disease and had, as far as I could tell, like no, nothing to say about it. And the few who did were severely oppressed and some of them were just tossed out of school. Well, let's just face it. You had to go along with the vax mandates or you weren't allowed to stay there. And mm -hmm. they were, they, these were despotic. Where were the protests? They had nothing. That would have been a nice opportunity to talk you know, about freedom and yeah, human rights. Interesting, it's an interesting concept. When when the need for freedom was at their door, literally, yeah. they did nothing and folded. Nothing. And now they have this abstract concept of freedom across the world right. that's completely backwards, actually, but this is how they're expressing it. I will, I will ruminate on that one over the weekend, Jeffrey. You've done well. But let's move to the next uh, topic here. Uh, Hunter Biden, the son of Joe Biden and Joe loves this boy. You must know that. He really loves him. That's what they tell us on The View every day. Uh, he was on Capitol Hill yesterday explaining that everything going on with him and his business dealings and his father and a potential impending impeachment is really because MAGA is a bunch of crazy people. For six years, MAGA Republicans, including members of the House committees who are in a closed-door session right now, have impugned my character, invaded my privacy, attacked my wife, my children, my family, and my friends. They have ridiculed my struggle with addiction, they have belittled my recovery, and they have tried to dehumanize me, all to embarrass and damage my father, who has do devoted his entire public life to service. I, I just looked at Connor in my director. It's funny, everyone's body language right now because I just looked at Connor and my director in the middle of that. And I always forget if you guys are muted, if we're all muted during these things. Because all, look, Ron's crying. We were all laughing hysterically through that. Unfortunately, everyone was muted. I may have to change how we do that going forward. My favorite part of that. Uh, these MAGA people have impugned the character of the man no, who was looking for impunity. crack cocaine out of the carpet I, to smoke like Parmesan I, cheese. David, Ron, as a former. How can you ridicule this man's struggle with, with uh, substance addiction? <laughs> That's really vicious of you. I can't believe it. Ron, go. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Ron. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, what exactly is the question? I mean, there, I can well, land anywhere is, on this. The, the, it's just <laughs> the, the sheer lunacy of everything. No matter what light they shine on, why did this guy have a job at Burisma and he had no business working at an energy company and who was he giving the money to and the dad firing the... This is all just about MAGA and they're being mean because you know they're not paying enough for his artwork or something. Mr. Chairman, as an Italian-American, I resent your question about the mafia. <laughs> That's, I mean, it, it, this, is, th this is just so transparent and it feeds into, into, the, you know, into the, the Yenta class you know, over at, at, at The View and, and those kind of nonsense people. I mean, Everything is a game. Everything is a spin. Yeah. There, you know, he, this is all his way of saying, I'm not going to answer questions that I'm legally obligated under mm. a subpoena to answer and that people have gone to prison, not only within our lifetimes, within the last several months yeah. for, not, for not obeying. 
I'm a Biden. I'm separate. And any any attempt to apply to me the same rules that apply to any other member of civilization are just magalunacy. Uh-oh. Speaking of magalunacy, I think the demons in the machine. Oh, maybe the solar flare is starting. Oh, God. The solar flare. Jeffrey, it's just me and you, unless the solar flare. We lost everybody. All right, we're going to try to reconnect with people. I think what Ron was about to say is that it's a whole bunch of BS, and they're just, you know, what, what uh, Hunter is in essence doing is just making a whole bunch of nothingness so that the, what he calls the Yenta class, which I like that phrase, it's like the view will talk about it. Oh, he's, he's the victim here, he's the victim here. Can we jump to the other clips while we're trying to reconnect? I want to show you something else uh, that's really just incredible. So the New York Times was covering the very press conference that Hunter Biden was having right there. And I want to show you, listen to Hunter Biden talk about his father's involvement or not involvement first. And then I want to show you the way the New York Times covered it. So check the video first. I am here. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business. Now I want to show you something. Read the words that the New York Times put in their quote. You're going to have to pay close attention here. We're going to show you the video again. The New York Times, this is how they covered it. I am here. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not involved in my business. Now we're going to play the video for you again and see if you can figure out what word the New York Times left out of that quote. I am here. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business. You see what the New York Times did there? They took the word financially out in the quote. So the average person reading the paper wouldn't see financially. Now, it might be true to some extent in the most sort of like strict legal sense that Joe Biden was not involved financially, meaning that he didn't write the contracts and everything. But was he, you know, the contract that say got Hunter Biden the job at Burisma. But was he involved financially in the meta sense? Like, why did Hunter have the job in the first place? Of course he was involved financially. We know that there are also financial records of Hunter Biden paying Joe Biden money and Joe Biden then using some of the money to say, give Hunter Biden this freaking house in Delaware and all, all of the stuff. But putting all of the details aside, do you see how, I know you guys see it, do you see how the New York Times runs cover for the Democrats? That's just one of a million examples. Uh, we are trying to get the uh, the guys back. Is this the solar flare? Like, if this is the end, I don't know that I want to spend my last few minutes talking about Hunter Biden. Like, there's a whole bunch of other stuff I'd rather be telling people about. What if this is really the end, guys? I hope everyone's enjoying themselves as you're watching this. Like, <laughs> the zombies are coming, the aliens are here, and you guys are watching me talk about Hunter. Um, wait, let me jump over to, do we have one more on Hunter or no? That was it on Hunter, right? Yeah, all right. We're going to try to get the guys back, so let me go, let me run on this for two more minutes, and if we don't get them, then uh, we'll do segment three just solo. I think I think I can do a solo show. I've done it once or twice before. Um, the real question that I think is happening right now is what is is this you know impending impeachment, not impeachment, because obviously Joe Biden is not going to be impeached. But whatever is going on with Hunter Biden. Is this the way that the system is slowly showing Joe Biden the door? You know, there have been a lot of polls. You guys know my feelings about polls. But there have been a lot of polls in the last week showing that Trump will beat Biden rather handily. 
Doesn't matter if they're true or not. That's what's in the ether of the system right now, that Trump is going to beat Biden. Everyone knows that Biden is not cognitively aware. There's no real movement behind him. You can feel, because of everything that's happened over the last two plus months since October 7th, a lot of whatever's left of that sane liberal class is kind of waking up and could potentially vote Republican. So the Democrats are definitely feeling like, what do we have to do here? But they, as you guys know, they have a huge problem on their hands because not only do you have to figure out a way to get rid of Joe Biden so you could maybe get him involved in this scandal and then he steps down, he does the right thing, it's honorable, he steps down. I didn't really realize what my son was doing and how some of this had happened or, or I'm just not guilty at all, but it's time to move on. But then the bigger problem they have is Kamala Harris, the woman that we showed you that insane cold open of, she's waiting in the wings and, and there's just virtually nobody in America that wants to vote for her. So if, they think, if they're looking at the numbers and they think that they're in trouble with Joe Biden, they're in way more trouble when it comes to Kamala Harris. So then the question is, well, what do you have to do to get rid of her? Do you get, do you do some brokered convention? Like what is the thing? I do not know, but I, I do strongly sense and usually I'm usually, as my friend Eric Weinstein always says about me, Dave, you're directionally right more than most people. I do think that they are trying, they're just seeding the ground with a little, we are going to get rid of uh, Joe Biden and let's kind of figure out how we're gonna do it. I think we're, yeah. I think we have Ron back. Let's see if we can bring Ron back in. Damn solar flares. Ron, do we have you? We do not have Ron. The solar flares. Damn. All right, I'm gonna finish up segment three without the guys and we will bring them back soon enough. Um, the one other thing that I did wanna cover this week, it's sort of, it's sort of silly on, on its face in some sense, but I think it also gets to the cultural rot that we were talking about and, and everything that Yuri Bezmenov was talking about, about how you can just sort of slowly destroy everything. Uh, I want you to watch this. I, we played a clip of this on People of the Internet yesterday. It's just wild. This is Jill Biden. This is from Dr. Jill Biden the wife of the President of the United States from her official Twitter account. Uh, this is the debut of the White House Christmas decor and celebration. Hold on to your hats, folks.
never ends, people. That goes on for 87 hours. We just clipped it for you. All right, you might be watching that going, Dave, don't be outraged about this. Why are you trying to make me outraged about some silly little White House thing? Okay, maybe there was a drag queen in there or whatever. Tap dancing's not so terrible. And you'd be right. Except, of course, what did we find out this morning? This is from End Wokeness. Breaking. The group behind the viral Biden Christmas video is a radical anti-white group called Dorrance Dance. On the group website, they call for defunding the police, abolishing prisons, and even quote Marxist terrorist Angela Davis. The site has an entire section dedicated to anti-white literature. So regardless of whether you think it's tacky to have them tap dancing and the guy dressed as a woman and all the sort of over the top ridiculousness, and that's kind of what's filled up everything these days culturally. Um, maybe they could have found another group that tap dances that aren't so in line with Marxists. Are there any tap dancing groups that aren't Marxist? Brock, you're the tap dancing specialist here. Do you know any non-Marxist tap dancing groups? You have to be. You, you, oh, apparently now you have to be a Marxist to be a tap dancer. Well, there you go. Uh, I want to contrast that to uh, Melania White, uh, Melania White. <laughs> 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 Melania Trump's White Christmas. Go. Melania White's Beautiful Christmas, there you have it. Anyway, it's not something to really get your panties in a bunch, other than it does show the kind of cultural rot that has just infected absolutely everything. And I was looking forward to discussing that uh, with the guys, but alas, the solar flares. I mean, I, I mean, this is seriously ironic. Like, there are all these warnings about solar flares and the internet's about to go down, apparently Skype is down. Uh, many of you from our Locals community are probably watching this on Rumble right now because Locals went down for a little bit. They're still doing some back-end stuff over there, but I mean, weird times, weird times on this Friday. Uh, anyway, I guess get out there and maybe get some water and tuna. I feel like tuna, you just should have a lot of tuna. And then, you know, if, if all hell breaks loose, it's months later and all you've eaten is tuna, you probably die of mercury poisoning rather than being eaten alive by the zombies. That seems right to me. Well, that's an odd ending for a uh, holiday seasonal show. Uh, my full interview with Caroline Glick, who's really, she's a spectacular actual journalist. She's on the ground in Israel. And I tried to do the interview a little bit differently and not just get into the political portion, but what it's like to actually live in a country going through war. Uh, it's about a 20 minute interview. Really enjoyed talking to her. That's up across platforms right now. As always, uh, our new Twitter account, at uh, Ruben Report Show, is up where you can get direct clips of the show, and we have no post-game show because of the solar flare. So, um, good luck with all of that. See ya. 
Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was financially involved in my business. The kickbacks we got paid for my new teeth. These hair plugs, that obviously didn't work. Countless hookers and all the Parmesan cheese a guy could ask for. And my dad, the big guy, said it best. I'm the smartest guy he knows. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.